0: Hello and welcome back to the Hearts Unleashed podcast. This is your host, Abigail Gazda, and I want to welcome you back to the anxiety series. Y'all, I am stoked on this episode, and uh, this is called social anxiety. And I think that I've worked through my anxiety about the anxiety series. And I just want to, I'm going to keep speaking into this because it took me what, three or four episodes into it to really catch my groove. And here I am doing it in real time. I want to say that because I know way too many people who quit their dream or idea or project when they give it one go and it doesn't work out or they're scared shitless or it's just too much too soon that your body, you're not having any chance to to regulate and calibrate to this new level of courage you're practicing. So, I'm just here to stand in front of you in real time and say like do the work, it's worth it. Living your dream it takes practice and and continuing to show up for it and and I think that Covering social anxiety is going to be a great opportunity to speak into this because I have some great notes here. As I've been starting the last few episodes this way, I'm really loving it. We're going to talk about um, what social anxiety is and isn't, or I want to create more awareness around what it is. I want to say, like, don't get it twisted. Social anxiety is not all about the person tucked in the corner of the party, not talking or disassociating or It's not the person who never even goes to the events. Like that's not the only way that social anxiety looks. It can also look like the person who's standing at the front, entertaining, being the mascot, being the jester, uh, handling discomfort. Everybody handles and copes in different ways. And one of those ways is to make sure that you're the fun one, you know? Or it could also look like, oversharing or over talking. Sometimes when we're nervous or anxious, we might just like blah, word vomit and, you know, just be all out there and then walk away from it. Like, oh my gosh, I regret that. And then re ruminate on what we overshared or if people remember what we said, or if we said it a weird way or what kind of impact, you know, the over consideration of how you behaved. And then another one might look like gossiping, um, social anxiety, ha- finding out how you fit in might be doing things that you don't really align with in order to feel like you're fitting in to the group that you're around. So there might be a lot of like mimicking or imitating or going with the flow. And, and again, that's not in alignment with you or your, you know, your, your personal morals or ethics. And then another form of social anxiety might be like helping, cleaning, sort of overextending yourself or putting yourself in a, in a more behind the scenes role at, at an event or a situation where you want to maybe be there, but you don't want to be seen there or you don't want to have to socialize. So you busy yourself. Right. That being said, social anxiety doesn't always look like shyness or being reserved. It might actually look like being very outgoing or very involved. It it might look like that person's very social, but really they're just coping with how they are feeling inside. So just want to give that perspective that social anxiety has a lot of different looks, wears a lot of different masks, and uh, that no matter how it shows up for you, I just want to sort of address some of the aspects of it. That social anxiety, I want to bring a few awarenesses around it to give you some more insight to yourself and see if there's ways that you can... Um, navigate this, alleviate it, minimize it, uh, be with it, integrate it. So there's a few aspects I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about hypervigilance. I'm going to talk about insecurities, stimulation, and um, the stimulation. Um, Next week, I'm going to talk about anxiety and ADHD and and that, that beautiful little concoction. But here, I want to mostly talk about, address it as anxiety. And so let's talk about hypervigilance. Part of being anxious socially may have a lot to do with our upbringing, very predictably, right? As a youngster, you had to, for safety reasons, you had to perceive, you had to Notice the even the slightest shifts in energy, in environment, in people's behaviors, in people's attitudes, because maybe you had an explosive person in your life. And so that it's an hypervigilance is a trauma response to and of monitoring even the most minute details of of a person. So if you had to do this with let's say one or a few explosive people, or it's not even explosive, right? It it can actually be manipulative, like you might have gotten the cold shoulder. It might have been neglect. It might have been emotional trauma. So there's all sorts of trauma involved in hypervigilance. But one of the results when it comes to social anxiety is that we are trying to observe and notice every shift and this is all about proactively perceiving threats so you're ultimately respond you're you're coming from a outdated environment and experience or relationship and and you're you haven't healed that wound therefore you project that onto other interactions. Because again, this could be one-on-one. social. Let's talk about social anxiety isn't always about going to a freaking party or event. It might be a lunch date or an interview. It can be one-on-one or in groups of multiples. And so, uh, or just, you know, like going to the grocery store, you might not even plan on interacting with anybody, but you're having to go out and into the world where there's these like uncontrollable components. Right. Uh, and I, I really want to highlight the perceived threats because a lot of anxiety comes from the like I mentioned further back in these episodes, which if this is your first episode, like, thanks for being here, and you probably, if this is resonating, I'm just going to throw it out there, tune into all these episodes of the Anxiety Series, but that perceived threats, fears, and which I'll cover next is insecurities, often are where our anxiety, anxiety is the physical manifestation of fear, where we feel it in our body, we experience it in our mind, and our heart, and we're ultimately feeling an immense amount of threat and danger and so your your body on a nervous system level is like this all the sirens are going off like red alert red alert danger 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 danger, danger. to me that's anxiety there's the paranoia side which I touch on a lot but there's the like it's all about surviving it's all about surviving and um, protecting yourself and so this hyper vigilance can really Ooh, we're gonna take a deep breath in because it it builds as I talk about it. Even, but you don't have to do that. And deconditioning and reprogramming that behavior can be anxiety inducing. It can be incredibly uncomfortable. Now, I want you visually put your fists up in front of you. This is how like we're just going to stick with social anxiety in social anxiety your fists are up and you are ready to protect yourself so f- make fists and feel the squeeze in your hands feel the squeeze in your biceps feel the squeeze in like your chest and your arms and your arms on the sides of your body right you're there's a contraction what i'm asking you to do inviting you to do so unclench your fists and bring your arms down and to your hips or your sides, put them all the way down to your sides. And like, if you experience social anxiety, it's very likely that even just the physical act of putting your hands to your side, you become immediately present to the fact that your chest and neck are open. Like, like you want to bring those hands up. You want to have that guard up in front And so I'm inviting you to put your hands by your side and experience yourself as open. This can feel incredibly vulnerable, incredibly raw, especially, like I said, if you've been in relationships with explosive people where you have to live braced for impact. I resonate. I understand. I empathize. And I just want to tell you that you can heal those experiences and feelings and you can live not constantly in a state of self protection and preservation that you can relax and it's really hard to relax your nervous system when you are constantly hypervigilant it is exhausting purely exhausting and i'm going to talk about that a little bit later so let's shift let's take a deep breath in oh i have my sage with me let's take a deep breath in and a deep breath out i only left you on the breath in go ahead and exhale I'm going to light some sage for a moment. Deep breath in and deep breath out. I also want y'all to know that I am recording this episode from the beach. My wheels are parked in the sand, so I am bringing you some calming ocean energy. I can feel an activation in my shoulder blades, in the back of my, like in my middle back I'd love for you to focus your attention to your middle back and breathe air there. Breathe and soften your body. I imagine bringing awareness to this stuff can kind of crack us open like, oh, my God, she's right. Oh, my God. Or maybe you've never heard this explained in these ways and it's really creating new levels of awareness. I hope that this is, and I hope that it serves you, and I hope that it offers a little point of access for relief and, again, deprogramming, deconditioning, and reconditioning, being able to set in motion a new behavior, a new lifestyle, new potential and possibility. So let's talk a little bit about insecurity. This is really big when it comes to social anxiety. So much of our social anxiety is centered around fear of being found out. Whatever being found out means to you. Fear that people can read your mind. Fear that people think of you what you think of yourself. So often, especially someone with anxiety, we have like a loud very loud inner critic right so the most critical things we can say about ourselves that's what we might fear that when we go out in public people can see they they they, that they see that they see us that way too or i like to ask another question what's the worst most embarrassing most horrendous thing someone could find out about you a lot of social anxiety has to do with the idea that just by looking at us, people would know that thing about us, the the thing we are the most embarrassed or ashamed of. And I'm going to just give you a super generic example in this case, which is when I was first starting out my business and I would go to networking events, I felt so ashamed or embarrassed like I didn't belong there. So we could talk about imposter syndrome. I was calling myself a coach, but maybe at the time I didn't have a paying client or I was just trying to enter it, or I was in the room with six figure earners and I hadn't made $6,000 off of what, I, or even 600 off of what I had been doing yet. And so the insecurity around feeling like a fraud, feeling like a liar, feeling like a con, feeling insensitive. Maybe you're, you have, you're judgmental. So like you go somewhere and you're judging the people around you. And again, the fear of people being able to mind read that they would, if they knew what you were thinking that, oh my God, what a terrible person you are. Uh, So all these things. In fact, I have notes about like whatever your version of not belonging is. And, and, So you might have these negative memories from grade school, from your family or of origin or your friends, grade school, middle school, high school, any experience you have of feeling outcasted um, is sort of solidified within you, especially, like I said, when it causes us to feel threatened, when it causes us to feel like it's life or death, whether that's like even social death, right? The time that we were the most embarrassed ever and again, cast out. So these memories, you know, feel, and then you go to start over somewhere, maybe you started a new school, or you started a new job is a great example, right? Or you move to a new place, you have this like freedom to create any anything you'd like. And let's say you never move, let's say you never start a new job, and you're starting to feel different, you're healing and you want to show up new, that is a challenging experience when people insist that you are one way or that they have a memory of you and especially with family is a great example as you grow and you want to become new. And they're like, no, 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 you're same old, same old. I need you to be the way you were because I prefer that version of you. And um, that then you feel outcasted and, and you develop this social anxiety because you feel rejected. In whatever ways we feel rejected can certainly cause this social anxiety. And that avoiding or not going or staying quiet can all seem like solutions. But ultimately, at that point, now you're... You know, tucking yourself away and you're being inauthentic or capped, right? And one more way I'd like to describe this, it might be a bit redundant, but I want to describe it this way people with social anxiety feel like they are being perceived all the time because we are perceiving a lot of the time. We're usually overthinking, overanalyzing, overcritical in our natural state. And so the way we think is the way we think others think. I just want to offer this with a different perspective too is you are not the center of the universe. And when we're just, when we're especially youngsters and maybe we have a hypercritical person in our life, and we're just these little kiddos doing our own little thing, maybe painting or playing or talking, and then somebody criticizes us. And it takes us, there's this idea, this fall from grace, where we're kind of like in our own little flow, and then we're criticized, or something happens that kind of shakes us out of our little state of bliss, and all of a sudden we realize people are paying attention to us, that all of a sudden again, we become the center of the universe in the way that like, is everybody paying attention to me? Is everybody watching me? Did everybody notice this about me? Am I the only one? So it comes in this spiral existential crisis situation where we perceive that we are being perceived all the time. So like, consider, I love this online and I love this in social settings in person. Like, not everybody's staring at you. Not everybody's noticing you. Not everybody's looking at you. When it comes to being online, people might not notice that you're doing things. 5% of 5% of the people you are friends with see 5% of what you post anyway. So you know, just because somebody didn't like something that you posted online doesn't mean they didn't actually like it. They may have not even seen it. So here you think nobody's supporting me when really it may be have to do with the algorithm, not they've never saw what you put out anyways. And so I think it's really just important to take a look at the fact that like, you're not the focal point. In fact, I'm going to give you my favorite. This is my personal example. I've never shared this with anybody actually. And it it comes from staring out of my window in my van right now. My window, I am staring through my window. So take an opportunity to go and look at your window, out of your window, from inside your house, the window that you assume everyone can see through. So if I look out my window, I see a very large amount of outside. I see hundreds of buildings and homes, hundreds of cars. I see a whole piece of the ocean, right? So I perceive that because I can see that much, that many people out there can see in my window and are looking at me. I have no idea if anyone else... Has this thought process. Like if you're in your living room or kitchen or whatever room faces this much outside, that you perceive that that many people are looking in at you. Well, my trick to this is I walk outside. I had this at one of my apartments too, because I was always nervous about walking around naked because I'm like, oh my God, everybody can see. That's not true. So I would go outside and I'd look at the specific window that I think everyone can see me through. And realize it would be like looking through the eye of a needle for someone to see into that window and see me and see what I'm doing. And that when you're standing out there, you look at that window and you really see how small that window is. And how small of a view it would give to somebody. And then if you stay outside and you look at like the entire look at my entire van or you look at your entire house and then you look at all the houses next to it and you look at all the outside around that that anybody would be focusing their attention on that one singular window is is highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. So the idea that you are not as big, of, as an, of an attention grabber as you think you are, especially if you are someone who is naturally mild or meek. Some people, of course, dress up to be the center of attention, but my guess would be is if you have social anxiety, you're probably dressing in the most neutral fashion or you're trying to not draw attention to yourself, and so it's very likely that you're not. And so I hope, I hope that this example provides a little bit of relief for somebody because this has been something that I, I play with this actively in my mind all the time because I, sometimes I am socially anxious about how people are perceiving me. And so I hope that was helpful. We're going to move on to being overstimulated. A lot of social anxiety comes from this overstimulation, which is, like I said, a word I think I just came up with, but That stimulation equals dysregulation, equals contraction, equals exhaustion. So sometimes we may actually confuse how exhausting it can be out there with anxiety. Because once we perceive, um, how do I want to say this? These experiences cause a memorized feeling that we then anticipate about every situation. And so, when we prepare to leave the house to go somewhere or when we've agreed or have an event maybe for work and, and we're already anticipating how exhausting it's going to be, how anxious we're going to be, we're one, we're pre-giving ourselves anxiety. And two, I just want to offer... That may not be true about every scenario. I have had to work in an incredibly committed way to prove myself wrong that every social event is an anxiety-producing event or interaction. And so the hardest part for me is getting myself somewhere. I encourage you, you know, do what you can to regulate yourself and take care of yourself. I am sure to either listen to nothing on the drive or something that is very soothing, uh, on my drive to a, a social gathering so that I am as calm as possible showing up because I may be nervous about presenting. I may be nervous about interacting. I may be nervous about who's going to be there, what we're going to have to do, all sorts of things. If what kind of food is going to be there, if there's going to be food there, like there's all these things, right? And then, um, so prove yourself wrong by going and creating more experiences that are nourishing because when I go to places, I'm prepared for the crowds. I'm prepared for the noises. I'm prepared for my highlight underscore perceived threats that whatever I'm afraid of, that's going to be there. And I just be calm and rational with myself. And I pa- reparent myself like a, a little child who's nervous to go somewhere or do something new. And I'm really sensitive with myself. and And that has really helped me in so many situations to have a good experience in social settings and to gain something, to meet somebody new, to have an enriching conversation. You guys, something that gives me anxiety is small talk. The idea that I'm going to have to go have small talk with people and pretend like I'm interested in small talk like gives me so much anxiety because I love depth. I love depth of conversation and connection and intimacy, and I don't get that everywhere I go. I I do more now because my reputation precedes me, but that's just because I put myself out there. But I work hard to cause an empowered and intimate and deep conversation with people, and that has helped me to enjoy my experiences, and I've just... I've handled a lot of these insecurities I've I've dealt with a lot of these wounds and fears and so they're not in control of me as much as they used to be and I've just continued to prove myself wrong enough times that I have more evidence of social events going good and well and me coming out happy and um, energized even if So I still identify as an introvert, meaning I am more energized by alone time than I am by social time, but that's my situation. That's me. So I am not going to um, project onto other people as if they are draining if it's just that for me, interacting is draining, period is that making sense? So, so I do not put on other people that it's their fault that I am tired by interactions. Um, granted, some people are more draining than others. Some people require more focus and energy and attention than others. And that's, that's okay. But, um, it's few and far between at this point. And then I know, here's the other thing, know how to take care of yourself after. Don't, you know, if you have to go to an event and it's going to require a lot of you, don't go to -to back-to-back events. Don't promise to go out and party after. Don't promise to um, have to be someone after an event. If I have a, like a luncheon or um, even, again, even if it's a one-on-one, like a coffee date or um, a meeting or an interview, I am not going to schedule a call within two hours after that event so that I have time to come down, to regulate, to restore, to, to meet my own needs. And so the more that you know of yourself, the more, the less social anxiety has to control and dictate your life and your relationships. Because let's get real specific here as we start to wrap it up, is that, I, I imagine about you that you want connection, you want relationship, you want intimacy, you want to love and be loved, you want to contribute and be contributed to. And don't let social anxiety be the thing that interferes with your ability to experience an enriched, beautiful, juicy, delicious life that you love and enjoy and are satisfied by and fulfilled with. Uh, I am clapping for us. I am clapping. I am celebrating at the potential of our wellness, our well-being, our beautiful lives that we get to live beyond anxiety. Thank you for being here please share this please share this information with someone that you know may be struggling with anxiety that you do know struggles with anxiety share this stuff because we get to love up on each other we get to heal together we get to grow together we get to live our hearts on leash baby so thank you for tuning into the hearts on leash podcast where we are turning dreamers into doers i absolutely love you